HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to your customers. Shift your business and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash snacky. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. In our ongoing coverage of the coronavirus, we are looking at restaurants that are beginning the difficult process of reopening. In this episode, we're transported to Tulum, and taking us there is James Gardner, CEO and founder of Grupo Hitano. He opened Hitano Tulum, a mezcal bar and kitchen in 2013, and has since expanded with Hitano Garden of Love, a seasonal restaurant and bar in New York City, and Hitano Miami, a restaurant, bar, and rooftop jungle. He discusses the steps they are taken to reopen in Tulum amid the pandemic and how this time can be seen as a creative opportunity. We are then joined by the musical director Leo Leonsky and Habe, Hitano Tulum's house band, who gives us a live musical performance. Leo discusses the audio identity of Hitano and dives deep into the musical evolution of Tulum. Habe, who is an international collective of musicians based in Tulum, shares with us their blend of Middle Eastern rhythms and sounds with live looping and electronic music. We are really, really excited about the episode today because it shows that there's a possibility of reopening some restaurants in the world, which gives us great hope. So sit back, relax, and here's another episode of Snacking Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes.
Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. We are joined today by James Gardner of the Gitano fame uh, during our continuing coverage of the coronavirus pandemic. James, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, first and foremost, how are you? I'm good. Uh, We're good. I mean, we've had 10 weeks quarantined in paradise on the beach in Tulum. So we're, we're very grateful. We're very blessed. Uh, we were considering coming back to New York as this was all kind of breaking out in the early days when no one quite knew what to do. And uh, we're glad we stayed here. But we're good and um, kind of excited to get places open and get working again. <laughs> so for a bit of context, let's, let's go back. So uh, you're obviously from London, um, but you came to the States in 1994 and you started off your career as a financial trader. Is that correct? I wasn't a trader. I was uh, a technology strategist where I was building and technology um, systems and strategies for Goldman Sachs to start with. Uh, it was at a time uh, when we were on the kind of innovation of, of automated trading and algorithmic trading. So it was a pretty exciting time to be on Wall Street. Uh, but that wasn't your only interest in the city. You were a trader by day and living it up at, at night. What were some of your haunts during that time? And where would you like to go? Go out, go dancing and go eating? Oh my goodness. It seems, it seems like a lifetime ago. But um, so it was the, I guess, the mid to late 90s. And uh, we... I lived initially in Battery Park City with Goldman Sachs. They moved me there, and there wasn't really anywhere in, in Battery Park City that I loved to go. But as I explored and grew and learned the city, I discovered the West Village. And Flor- do you remember Florent in the West Village? Yes, of course. It was, was very fun. And uh, and then over in the East Village, we actually moved over to the East Village. We we were living above Little Frankie's, so that was all, also a favorite. Um, so East Village, West Village were, were definitely kind of where we spent most of our time. And where would you go out dancing? Dancing? There was this little place, I'm sure it doesn't exist anymore, called Flamingo East on 14th Street. Um, do you remember that at all? That I don't. Gant, Gant Johnson. Um, and uh, it, was, it, was, it, was very, it was very fun. It was little. And there was uh, one time we were there. And there was a fashion party there, and I knew nothing about fashion, but there was this girl I, I met, an English girl, and long story short, made, made great friends with her, and uh, she introduced me to a lot of people in the fashion world, which, uh, which I then discovered and became a part of, and it was very fun. So Flamingo East, but also at that time, there were, there were places like the Tunnel and the Sound Factory, um, fun, lots of fun places in that time. Uh incredible so moving forward and i know that you said you got into the fashion industry but going into that what got you into the hospitality industry and what what kind of drew you in after you know working in finance where there's you know tons of money and a great lifestyle and then being like you know what i want to go to an industry that has razor thin margins and Uh, is a huge uh, gamble uh, uh. and a ton of headaches um what made you make that pivot so uh, there was certainly no one point where I was on Wall Street and woke up and said, hey, let's go into hospitality. In fact, I mean, I think I used to have a very different point of view of the industry back then. 
um, my partner, my longtime partner, Andrew, was working at Boulay while I was on Wall Street, you know, so the number one restaurant in, in New York City, Michelin star. And I'm like, what? And he'd come home crying, you know, because it's like a military. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you there? You don't need to work. He was also a model and artist. And he, you know, and I have so much respect for him now. The answer to your question, I mean, is really the universe and the overall path and journey I've had led me to this point. Um, where I see it as an industry that's very exciting, even in the context of what we're all going through right now. Um, and I've been, I've been very grateful to be able to build businesses a little bit differently um, outside of New York, but also in New York where, you know, margins haven't been razor thin and, and so forth. So we have been successful. But to get from Wall Street to, to where I am now, bringing many of the skills I learned on Wall Street and then having built a fashion tech company kind of bringing them and applying those skills to this industry now is very interesting. And again, before this pandemic, I, I really felt and feel, I still feel that restaurants are very kind of interesting. Restaurants and bars are very interesting epicenter of the culture uh, that we all live in. In back in, you know, 10 years ago, when I was building a fashion tech company, it was all about fashion brands and fashion shows and big, big names and brands and aspiring, I think that changed and people have a different perspective, different inspiration. Everyone's a brand. Everyone wants to see and be seen. And and the, a restaurant and our restaurant, Hitano, kind of gives them a stage to, to do that on. So it wasn't something I woke up and said, let me go from Wall Street to, to a restaurant. I mean, that logically doesn't even sound like it makes any sense as you framed up your question. <laughs> but from an overall journey and the universe, I believe strongly that the universe steers us in, in our lives and as we let the universe steer us beautiful things happen so so my answer to that in short would, would be the universe and the journey that i've had amazing so um your first spot opened up in tulum in 2013 um you know we uh, over the last years have heard of tulum and uh the white beaches and you know it's extravagantness but is is that what you found when you went down there seven years ago or what was the scene uh, when you were considering opening your first spot? So Tulum has been a love, a long, a long time love of myself and Andrew, my other half. We've been coming here as tourists since, you know, since a couple years after we moved to New York. Our fashion friends knew about it before other people did. Um, they would do shoots down here. So they kind of were the first to bring us here. And, and we discovered it, uh, you know, I guess many years ago, more than, you know, probably more like 15 plus years ago. Um, and it, it was in many ways very different, but also at the same time today, it's still the same beautiful place of, of magical energy that's both light and in some elements dark and that the connection of the two, the white sand beaches, obviously, are what everyone knows and dreams of. So we would come here from New York frequently. Um, and while we were here, really doing nothing. I mean, that was the beauty of the place. We, we wished, we would often wish that there was just a, a place to get dressed up and go for dinner. Um, and, and we would therefore kind of split our trips between Tulum, maybe once a year or once every couple of years, but then St. Bart's and Florinopolis and Rio and Brazil, um, and then Mykonos and Ibiza in the summer. So uh, anytime we were at any of these other places, we would think of Tulum and just wish that Tulum had, you know, a place to get dressed up and go for dinner. We wouldn't need to go anywhere else. It's the easiest flight and it's the most beautiful location. It just didn't have anywhere great to eat and, and have some fun. 
so we kind of came along again the universe kind of brought us this opportunity i guess to fill a gap in the market as we saw it and i think it was a, a, a big change that happened here started by heartwood i would say was the first you know real food focused you know restaurant um and then we were we were the next shortly after that and i think together heartwood ourselves and some other great chefs and entrepreneurs have have really built an incredible food and beverage scene in Tulum. And you mentioned that you brought some of your skills from working in the financial industry over to the restaurant industry. I'm curious about what in those early days you brought over that helped you excel and, and turn Titano into what we know today. So I'd say the, the, the core, I think about this a lot, having now worked in several industries. I think I've had three chapters. So sort of chapter one was almost 10 years on Wall Street. Chapter two was my digital tech company that I've you know, built from the ground up to, to almost 400 people. And then now the hospitality chapter. And I think the common thread between all of them is, 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 is sort of strategy positioning um, skill set that I've had going into Wall Street, kind of what can we do? How can we do things differently? How can we do things more efficiently? What can we automate? Uh, I took that to the fashion tech sector and then in many ways bringing it here. Now, technology has not really played a big part in our roadmap to date from 20, kind of late 2013, 2014 until now. Of course, I've made sure that we're on the forefront of digital communication, you know, with our site and other elements with, with you know, regis, regis, uh, reservation systems and other elements like that. But in terms of having really done anything that, that pushes things into a new territory for, for restaurants, I mean, it almost becomes disruptive. I'd say that skill set, that disrupt technology as, as a disruptor that, that I've used on Wall Street and, and my previous company, now I'm excited to see an opportunity to kind of bring those skills to this industry. I'm, I'm working over the last weeks on a number of different components that quite significantly will change the, the guest experience, the staffing, um, and, and I, I think take it to a new level that will be very interesting where there's, there's, there is less interaction, less friction, less trouble, more efficiency um, in the process from arriving, no longer standing in line automatically with a QR code getting on a wait list, a number of other things like that, all the way through to ordering online, paying online, etc. Um, so, so bringing some of those technology disruptor skills to, to, to the restaurant business is actually exciting me right now. But overall, I would say the common thread has been strategy positioning coming into Tulum at the end of 2013, um, seeing that there was an opportunity for kind of a, a, a mezcal bar focused restaurant initially. Hartwood was the first restaurant. We positioned ourselves as the first bar actually back in 2013. And that, that, worked well so we were kind of flagged together as the two main places that you had to go to so i would say strategic positioning would be the common thread and for people who don't know and maybe only see the photos they they don't know that like power is an issue there um a lot of things are run off uh, generators uh you know creativity always comes out of constraints so uh, uh what is one of the biggest hurdles that you had to overcome in the early days of Titano that uh, you were not prepared for, given the this situation that you were located in. 
So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Had I come here, you know, the journey into hospitality and coming first to Tulum and then much later to New York, I think was, was very interesting. Experienced hospitality people in New York coming here and, and building a restaurant and everybody will probably find it incredibly difficult because I, I was, you know, in some ways, naive, naivety is a beautiful way, like be, being able to keep a naive mind and ask no question is a stupid question is a great way to learn quickly and having that beginner's mind in all that we do is actually quite powerful. So so many of the things that you would have expected to be in place and come naturally if you owned restaurants in other places, you know, we didn't have any of that. So so I probably had a little less frustration than I would if I'd had, you know, much experience building and operating. The experience I now have <laughs> actually building and operating restaurants in New York coming back to Tulum the other way around, I think would have been very frustrating. It, everything was frustrating. I mean, getting anything done in the early years before we had the infrastructure and the connections and the team and the scale and so forth, just every single effort and task was challenging in the jungle. Um, the, you know, the biggest challenge and the, the thing that we've always been very focused on since day one is, is knowing that we're in the jungle, we're in a fragile environment and everything we do, doing it in a way that, respects the nature, respects the environment and, and and builds within the nature and environment, not not against it, you know. Um so so that balance between nature and and, and building the, the business has, has also been a problem. There is no or there was no infrastructure, I think, that Tulum has changed a lot. We're about to get grid electricity, um city water i mean lots of changes are happening on the beach but we've definitely been the wild west and the jungle for for many years um which actually that experience of building something from nothing in the jungle was what enabled us to to turn a twenty-four thousand square foot empty parking lot in new york city with no water or electricity into a full service 450 seat restaurant so we've definitely learned a lot in the jungle and we've been able to apply some of that back to some other projects we're going to take a quick musical break, uh, play a song from our archives, and then we'll be back with James from Gitano here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Oh, 
one of the things that I really appreciate about your approach and response as a restaurateur during the coronavirus is you look like you're just taking ownership um, of the situation and you uh, are approaching it as a creative challenge, if you will. Um, there's about six points that you present, and I, I want to make sure that we touch on all of them. But I think that the common thread to all of this is that you see this as something to overcome and react to. Um, how have you been inspired by the current situation and seen it as an opportunity? I mean, I think you said earlier in, in this chat is when there are challenges and problems and difficulties, you can, t you can either sit and worry and, 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 and be concerned about how do we get through this, or you can take it as an opportunity to step back and be really creative. I love being creative, and I think this is an incredible opportunity for all of us to kind of reset in life and look at what, you know, look, at, we've all been running like a thousand miles an hour, feeling like we're super efficient and superpowers. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. Having 10 weeks breathing and exercising and reading and cooking here on the beach in Tulum has given incredible opportunity and the mind space needed meditating. We meditate every day to, to be able to breathe and think and feel what does all this mean? What am I going to feel like when I get back into a restaurant? What's going to make me feel better? And is there an opportunity not only to address the, the, the concerns that many people, some people we don't know yet will have, but also how can we change things in a positive way to be more efficient and, and, and change the overall experience in a way that some things that would have been perhaps not acceptable a few months ago in an elevated dining experience can actually now be seen as something that people want and can change positively the overall guest experience. So I'm very driven and motivated by doing things differently. And I've seen this pandemic give us all an opportunity to think differently and do things differently. And I find that exciting. Uh, let's start with the, the obvious one, which uh, you say own the look. Um, you know, many people have discussed that servers are now going to be wearing gloves, they're going to be wearing uh, masks or, or face shields, and it's going to feel very impersonal. Uh, you have taken it to become a design moment. So can you tell us a little bit about what you feel the future uniforms are going to look like for your employees? So everything we do, the, con the core concept of Hitano, Hitano means gypsy, obviously, traveling, wandering, wandering. So everything we do, we try to take our guests to someplace else to, to create a transportive experience, um, you know, particularly in New York, where you're surrounded by towers and you're in palm trees, you're transported to, to, to Loom without taking a flight. So, you know, Clearly, masks are going to be needed and other elements rather than have guests walk in and feel like they're in a weird hospital or, or, or you know, um, we're, we're kind of owning it and making it fun. So gl gloves, by the way, I think there's mixed mixed reviews on if gloves are helpful or not. I don't know if we're going to have gloves, but we're custom designing some masks. Um, and I can't announce with who just yet, but we're making some fun masks for the front of house, for the bar. Uh, for the for, and then and then more clinical for the for the back of house and kitchen team, uh, we we we've developed a visor concept which is very fun rainbow tropical visor. I mean, 
it's almost going to be kind of we're transporting you to Mars, a tropical tropical oasis on Mars. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to have fun with the uniform. So it feels like part of the overall experience as opposed to a kind of a jarring medical thing that you, you know, that you have to do. The, the next thing I think uh, that is the guests themselves, right? You know, part of what I believe we all miss is going to a place, feeling the vibe, uh, being in a crowd. You know, uh, when I've been out in Tulum, it's just like you walk in and it's instantly crowded. You can feel the energy. Everyone's packed on the dance floor. Um, that's just not going to be the case. So what are your approaches to, uh, as you're calling it, tropical distancing, where you can still maintain the vibe, but make sure that everyone feels safe and secure. Well, yes, it's, you know, obviously we're having a bit of fun with the tropical distancing concept. We're incredibly grateful to, to have large, expansive outdoor spaces in all, all locations in Tulum, New York, and actually Miami's indoor space is smaller, but, but also has outdoor roof and terraces. So New York in particular, 24,000 square feet, We've, we've designed it to house 400 people seated um, for, for dinner. So even at 50, even at 25% capacity, uh, we've designed a layout with tables like at least six to eight feet apart. Um, and, and the way the space is designed, we've always thought of our restaurants as kind of a theater, as a stage where the guests are on stage as a place to see and be seen and connect. Um, there's another version of that, but so so we we still feel that can happen, but from a distance. So you can it's still a place to see and be seen, but from a distance. So every every there's a, we have room enough to spread people out to have kind of plants behind and between tables. So it almost feels like your own private tropical garden, um, but with enough space to still see what's going on and who's going on. So yes, it will be a a very different, but still chic, beautiful, and fun vibe and environment to start with. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to be in situations where they're in crowded spaces just yet. I mean, at least I don't think so. I, I, it's going to be such an interesting challenge because so much of that vibe is seeing friends, running into them, getting up, going and chat, chat another table, and you have to resist it. You know, you have to also, you know, even if you want to go see a friend, you might meet, walk by a few other tables. How are you going to approach it or at the very least what are your thoughts on being able to tamp down a bit on the social commingling that naturally happens in a restaurant oh my god you've just given me a new idea <laughs> live here maybe we'll 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 implement so i'm i'm working on a lot of technology solutions as i said that if you want to talk talk about i'd love to talk about but yes. you know maybe there's a way that we can have some instant messaging connected table to table. <laughs> so you see someone over at the table that usually you'd you get up and walk over and go and chat at the table but now you you you'll know what table number they're on and you can message them live and chat chat remotely. I mean how fun is that? I just had that oh, idea amazing. live with live with you on this chat. You're going to see it in the garden Perfect. of love in a few weeks. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, I mean look I think people generally, I, look, it's hard to tell. America's opening right now. In some places, you're seeing crazy packed pool parties. Other places, people are taking it more seriously. I think, you know, our core audience skew younger, you know, 20s, 30s, a group that are less, are less impacted. Um, and, you know, New Yorkers are resilient. However, I do believe our audience will be mindful because it's not just about them and 
and their vulnerability, but but them kind of potentially harming others also, you know. So I do think people will be respectful and coming up with ways that people can have fun and environment that they feel safe and they're enjoying and can see other people and connect with other people. I mean, that's what we're really thinking about. And I think we've developed some smart approaches that will allow that to happen. So let's touch on the technology as uh, you mentioned it beforehand. Um, I, I like I see a lot of it about ordering in advance, arrivals, et cetera. But how are you weaving this into the hospitality side of things? I think it's very easy to go automated and lose the soul. How are those two woven together? I mean, I think that's a key a key part, and we're doing it with you know working through each of the steps of of service, arrival, and service, and hospitality with with our team and actually i go further and say i think it will give us more room to focus on the pure hospitality which is really almost like entertaining and for you know rather than the nuts and bolts of 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 service you know getting from a to b getting this order into this system and getting that dish to that table all of that 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 piece and that process gets automated allowing the staff to spend more time on the relationship, entertainment, kind of hospitality side of the experience. So I actually think it's additive to the experience and won't take away at all. I think it will make things more efficient. I mean, hospitality is about enjoying and giving guests an experience that they enjoy. If you're waiting 15, 20 minutes to flag down a waiter because it's so busy and the place is so huge to get a drink or to get your check, I mean, that's not too enjoyable. So systems we're putting in place, I think, will speed up that overall flow and process and take that stress away. Because that can be stressful, no? If you're with a group and you can't see a waiter and, you know. Um, so I think the things that we're doing will will actually make the overall experience even more enjoyable. So I think it will be an, an, a new level of hospitality, not taking away from the hospitality. I'm curious about your thoughts on guest arrival and guest exiting. I think that's one of the issues that I personally can't wrap my head around because all of it makes sense when people are there, they're spaced out, but it's like this or going to a play or a concert or the theater where you have these funnels, these entry and exit points. What are you considering about social distancing arrivals and exiting for the guests to make sure that each step of the process is as safe as possible? Well, I think it's a very good question, and for us in particular, where the la- you know the last two seasons in New York, we've been very popular and kind of had lines around the block at certain periods. Um, so, so we're we're actually implementing a system with a couple of different technology tools, and integrating them all the way through where there there won't be lines, but there's a QR code to scan a, a waitlist. Um, you join the wait list uh, digitally and then go and wait somewhere else for 10 whatever minutes and you're, you're messaged when there's space for you to come, come in. So we actually don't really have lines at all, but we have virtual waiting lists, digital waiting lists, um, and remote kind of connection and automation. So that's one thing if you just turn up without a reservation, which we obviously get a lot of those. Uh, the other is when you reserve, all reservations are made online, we're working on a system that will send you a QR code with your reservation. So when you walk in, there'll be a security guard who scans the QR code, um, sees your reservation, and kind of allows you to, to, to walk in. So, so it's kind of making the, 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 the biggest bottleneck to people coming to 
the, the, the door in the first place to say they have a reservation or they want to get onto a waiting list. Um, and then once you're in with the host to find your table, I mean, our problems are perhaps a little different than many restaurants because of the scale. Um, but th this is definitely a very important point that we're thinking about. And I think we're putting some smart systems and processes in place to help with that. Obviously, there'll be markings on the ground when there are lines to, to have people spaced out, you know, six feet at least. I mean, there'll be some basic kind of, you know, perhaps perhaps ropes. I mean, even when we have had lines, we have some um, Tulum style ropes that we've used to fence off and kind of direct people where to stand. Because if you have lines, even before this pandemic, you have to be, we have to be very careful of our neighbors and making sure that we're managing crowds properly. So that was something we kind of got adept at before. Now this takes that challenge to a new level. So challenge number one is to actually reduce the number of people stand in line and then number two where there are people have them spaced out six feet this being snappy tunes uh we always love the way that restaurants and uh, food businesses use music as an audio signature and as a way to signify what they're into uh almost like a sound aesthetic if you will uh, you have zeroed in on a concept called Gypsy Disco and are developing a new sound identity um, for this time. How did you develop this? What can we expect on the playlist? Uh, and how does this help enliven the guest experience? So back to the to our name, Hitano, it's very powerful. Hitano means, means gypsy, and I've always loved... D disco, the feeling of disco, not necessarily or only Donna Summer at Studio 54 back in those days, but the disco represents this happiness, this lightness, this fun. Um, and back in 2013, 2014, we were really the first to bring this approach to, to, to music, to Tulum. Tulum then was very, I call it Tulum techno, but just had a had a very kind of one track approach to, to music that was becoming known for, and we wanted to do something different. And I was very excited about. I'm I'm always excited by juxtapositions, and the particular juxtaposition here that worked very well in my mind and has been a, a big success for us and a very unique sound positioning and sound identity is is sort of the gypsy which is world which is diverse which is eclectic which is multi-language multicultural mixed with that feeling of disco actual disco back to you know donna summer and diana ross two new disco and classic house and you know even some other electronic music that all together makes an incredible kind of transportive feeling and approach so I think that people now more than ever want to be taken away and out of the, the news cycles and out of CNN and <laughs> out of the New York Times for a minute, as great as they all are, but to be transported to another place and be that by tropical plants and um, other elements. But the, probably the single biggest thing that really transports is this music that you can never tell. Is that new? Is that old? Where's that from? What country is that? What language is that? But all those questions you're asking in the meantime, like totally whisk you up and take you off to another place and potentially another planet. I mean, we're thinking about a tropical disco on Mars. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, incredible. Well, well, James, thank you so much for making time for us. Where can people find you, follow you, track the opening dates, get all the information? 
So we're at Grupo.Hitano, and that's G-R-U-P-O.Hitano. Uh, and I'm, I'm James.Gardner, uh, J-A-M-E-S-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Uh, and both mine will be a bit more of a personal feed and insight into what's going on a bit more behind the scenes and then the official kind of um, voice of, of what we're doing is through Grupo Hitano. Incredible. Uh, well, thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to take another musical break, play a song from the archives, and then we're back with the second half of Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network. Greg, thank you for having me so much. That was fun. Thank <laughs> you. 
This episode is brought to you by Square. You might know Square from their little white card readers, but Square has a lot more tools that can help businesses, especially now that they're having to figure out how to safely reopen and make things work in this new normal. So many are stepping up to the challenge, like Fifth Hammer Brewing in Long Island City. To adapt, Fifth Hammer's co-owner, Mary Izette, created a Square online store so customers could browse available beers, build an order, and safely pick up cans from the tap room. I was able to set up our online store within 24 hours of moving to a to-go model. The Square online store allowed Fifth Hammer to keep beer production going, serve their local customers, and retain employees. It's also very easy to train your staff on. They will be able to receive, fulfill, and provide your customers with a contactless pickup in no time. If you're a business owner, Square wants you to know it has tools that can help you shift your business, like Fifth Hammer is doing. No matter if you're brewing beer, baking bread, or mixing to-go cocktails, you can start taking online orders in minutes with pickup and delivery. And if you're selling in person, Square can help you accept contactless payments. All these tools work together, and they're all in one place. You just need a Square account to get started. See all the ways Square can help your business right now by visiting square.com slash go slash snacky. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. We have Leo Lenansky and Marcos Pulras um, joining us from Switzerland and Mexico. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hello, hello. Hi, Greg. Hi. So we just had a great conversation with James uh, for, from Gitano, but Leo, you are the music director um, for Gitano, and Marcos, you are part of the house band trio, Habe. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great to connect with you guys, first and foremost, as we ask everyone during this time, how are you two doing? I am great. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm doing fine sitting here in Switzerland. Um, yeah, summer is coming along, so it's it's a good time to be here in Europe. Um, how are you doing? Me, Philadelphia, summer here, not too hot. Good. Marcos, how is uh, how's Tulum? Uh, well, we have just like two seasons here in Tulum. We have summer and hell, so now we are in hell. Uh, <laughs> And um, but beside that, I have uh, air conditioning on my studio, so it's a good time to produce and to design new projects and stuff. So I'm doing great. Uh, for those of the uninitiated, um, can you give some characteristics of hell? Hell. What okay. makes it so? <laughs> uh, first, uh, like uh, a million degrees, um, very humid. Um, and a thousand mosquitoes by square meter is like, yeah, hell. There's no other way to describe it. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, Marcos, I, I want to start with you. Um, you started your musical career, your musical career when you were 17, um, yeah. and then started playing, uh, 19 professionally. What were some of the early instruments that you picked up and what were some of the sounds that defined your your youth? Okay, um, I started singing when I was like nine for school projects and stuff. And then when I was like 15, um, 
we wanted to like start, you know, a rock band that that was popular at that time. Um, and I was the lead singer, but it turns like I wasn't that good singing. So <laughs> I started with the bass because I, I wanted to belong to a band and, and do music and, and stuff. I, I, I was a rugby player and I injured my... <laughs> um my leg and um well i i had a lot of free time you know like just like high school and 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 in rugby for me at that time and when i when i injured my my leg i started with with music with bass um and and that's why and that that was it yeah and um being from Argentina, uh, what were some of the bands, the rock bands that you were into at that time that were influencing uh, your decision to join a group? Okay, that's a good question. Um, do you know anything about Argentinian music? Um, it's like it's it's like we have like a complete different scene in Argentina. That uh, it's a big scene. Um, maybe maybe Leo knows knows about um, Sol Estéreo, which is uh, an oh, Argentinian hey. band, of course. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, like Sol Estéreo is like a pop rock band, a very a very big band, and um, we have like plenty of all over Latin bands. America, no? Um, they're famous all over Latin America, no? Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah, indeed. But Argentinians are very like rock and music fans. Um, the concerts there, I like uh, go to the church. You know, it's like okay, let's do this. It's like something very spiritual for us. So, um, and not just for rock bands, but like folkloric bands um, and like popular music, like cuarteto, which is uh, a mixture between um, Tarantella, which is like a, a, an Italian rhythm, and Paso Doble, which is like from countryside in Argentina. Uh, well, Cuarteto Borns and a lot of people, like 5,000 people at least goes to, 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 to Cuarteto dancing places with live music from Wednesday to Sunday always in cordoba always like it's it's a very it's a very like particular phenomenon there um so i think that we're we we don't choose the music that we are influenced by i mean we can be influenced by music uh, in a good way or in a positive way or in a negative way but we're we are not choosing the music we're just like exposed to the music so mm. All that culture make makes me the musician that I am right now. Hmm. And Leo, um, how did you get your start in music? Um, did you DJ? Did you play in the band? Was it always from the programming side? Where did your passion begin? Um, it actually started in Berlin a few years ago because I was working in nightlife in some bars and clubs. Uh, I was in my very early 20s and started DJing. I mean, the whole thing started probably earlier when I was a teenager. I uh, used to make CDs, like do compilations of music and burn CDs for my friends and stuff like that. But really getting into it in a deeper way was in nightlife there because in Berlin, I was working in this bar. 
which was a wild place, a really wild place called King Size. And I started DJing there sometimes. By the same time, I, I played guitar a lot and started pro- uh, recording music as well. So the whole thing, yeah, I took my way from there and started producing. I was DJing on the side. I just had a feeling for the music that that um, I really liked it. I enjoyed it, making music and playing music. So I don't know. I guess it's just started there at some point and got into my way of music direction, came years later. Yeah. Uh- how did you both make your way or find yourself in Tulum? <laughs> um, I, I, I went there in 2011 for the first time. I worked in a project in 2012 where I met a lot of people. And somehow I went back to Mexico over and over. I used to live in Europe still by then, but I came back to Mexico all the time. And uh yeah i made a lot of friends there worked there um frequently and i had a good time i really liked it even though tulum changed a lot so yeah i guess i started uh, yeah started like that 2011 2012 and marcos um i came here at 2017 um because I, I i got a lot of friends here and they were like hey man you need to go uh to tulum because it's so good you need to go and do music over there and stuff so um, i was uh like finishing some projects in argentina and i decided to to come here and here i am uh incredible. because i really like the place incredible and when you both arrived there um how would you describe the the music scene you know what was the sound of tulum is there a sound of tulum and and who were some of the the groups uh and players there definitely is a sound of tulum uh, back in the days it was very down tempo for example this organic down tempo music was a huge thing in tulum um i saw i actually saw a lot of people rising um through tulum into the worldwide scene of music through this kind of music. The whole down-tempo, yeah, Oriental, uh, Latin American mix and everything, it has has its own special tune for sure, in my opinion. And and Marcos, from the live music scene, which is not always uh, uh, analogous to the the DJ scene, what, what type of music and sounds did you hear there? If I have to pick um, one word to describe Tulum and what Tulum means to me in music, it's diversity. Um, because here I, I found like a lot of musicians from very different genres. I, I, I have been playing with um, Balkan bands. I have been playing with flamenco bands, rock bands. Uh, funk, soul, R&B bands, um, jazz bands, bossa nova bands, um, so 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 diverse. It's like a lot of musicians and a lot of different musics and different moods here. I think yeah. that's 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 the beauty thing of, of Tulum, right? Like the diversity. 
Yeah, I agree. It. I, I mean, I have to say as well, when we talk about that, through the years, it went through a, a, through a change. When, with, for example, with the whole down tempo, how it started back in the days, when I went there, not in general, just when I went there in 2011, 2012, that was a big thing coming up. But as Marco says, I feel like nowadays there is a huge diversity. I totally agree on that. For example, Hitano went, uh, has a huge disco thing as well. It's really known for disco and house music. Uh, incredible. Well, why don't we uh, hear a song from Habe? Uh, Marcos, what, what song are you guys going to play for us first? Uh, the first song is the anonymous. It's Habe. Amazing. Uh, well, here we go with Habe on live on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. 
Leo, you, you mentioned that Gitano is known for house and disco. Um, how would you describe the audio signature for the place and how it's evolved um, into what you know today? You mean the process, what happened in the last years? Exactly. Okay. Um, well, as, as I mentioned before, in my opinion, when I came to Tulum, to Tulum for the first time, it was Tulum was very had a had a strong scene with with this down tempo, uh, deep house music. Um, he done on the other hand, there there is music, such music. Of course, we book stuff like that as well uh, as part of my job. But we are very known as well for the whole um, disco and house um, elements. The Friday night we have is a it's a huge night every week um in low season in high season and we book a lot of people that play a lot of afro it's afro music from um afro house disco tunes it's very eclectic the whole mix which makes it for me very interesting to work there as well and book people because you have a huge there's there's a diversity in, in the genres that's something i really enjoy uh, Marcos, Habe uh, formed uh, earlier this year, and it's your trio. How did you come together and and uh, put together a group and decide on the sound that you're going to to play? Okay, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> well, first I met Fede um, because I mean I'm from Mendoza. I mean my family is from Mendoza, but I lived in Cordoba from like since I was like four. So I'm more Cordobes than than Mendocino. And okay, I met Fede in Cordoba and and we met again here in, in, in Tulum. And I know that Fede like likes the same music because he had like a Syrian ancestors. Uh so we started the band with Santi. Um which is another another guy, another friend that right now is in Argentina. And like we know that Santi can't do it like anymore. So we started to to make music with Rocco. Um that it's from Serbia and he's like a very good producer, very good sound engineer. So we 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 all met and we started to play together and it works and it was like amazing we have a like a very enjoyable time and um i think i think that's all about music right about connection chemistry and when 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 that it's working everything else is going to work uh exactly and how does um do you just play uh, Titano or uh, do you travel around and play? Like, uh, How easy is it for bands to play all over the area or do bands tend to stick to one or two places? Well, um, I can say uh, that we're traveling because the band like have been like formed this year. So and this year is kind of difficult to travel. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> uh so but yeah i mean we, we mainly play not in gitano we we play in mese which is an amazing place from gitano group um it's it's greek leo right it's a greek place like it's greek uh, like 
Yeah, you could. I mean, it's it's Eden, like the whole area. It's very. It has a Greek. Okay. What the chef is Greek. He's a amazing cook that makes all the Greek food. And, yeah, it's Eden. We call it Eden Taverna. Eden. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So see. So yeah, we we started to play there. Um. And now it's Nomade and and, and other places like in 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 that in that area, which is like kind of the best area to play and to and to make music. Uh, great. Can we hear another song? Okay. What's uh, uh, this one? Let's hear Malaiko.
One of the coolest things I think about the band is that uh, you guys are attached to Studio Tulum, uh, which is a record label and also a studio inside Tulum. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of the label and uh, how it came to be? Well, I can tell you a little bit because the Studio, studio Tulum, it's um, an entrepreneurship uh, from Rocos. And Studio Tulum, it's a recording studio. It's a very cool recording studio. Rocco, it's an amazing engineer, uh, amazing music producer. And he had produced like a lot of projects here in Tulum, like Samapash, that it's like a flamenco fusion band. And um, he had produced Camille Gomez-Tuaez, which is a French singer, an amazing French singer. Um, that makes like R&B, soul, new soul, um, and many other projects that you know, don't came to my mind right now because, as I told you, I'm I, I'm not the I'm not the head of Tulum. I'm just attached because of the band. Uh, but it's an amazing studio. Rocco have amazing equipment and amazing ideas. That's that that's the cool thing about Rocco. And and re he really knows the the music industry. Um, he really knows how to promote and how to develop, you know, um, how to develop like projects, how to do it, how to, how to like, um, improve and increase your, your performance as, as a musician. Rocco, it's, it's, it's really good. And, uh, I know that we're all taking a pause this year on live events um leo you were telling me that you cannot throw any parties yet and for those of people who don't know in tulum certain places have uh kind of claimed nights of the week um what are you thinking in ways to still bring the tulum sound and the and you know continue to push diversity um as we all wait this out together sorry again i didn't hear it proper it was oh um what are you planning to do to kind of continue to push out the the Tano music to the Tulum community as we all wait uh, this out together? Yeah, um, we uh, I changed my focus lately while we were closed because of the whole COVID situation. Um, I changed my focus a little bit to the SoundCloud page as well. Um, I ask a lot of people like DJs, artists to record some sets uh, that I can upload on the SoundCloud page which works really well, and we made posts with that, which was a successful project. Um, 
yeah, it was good to do this because like this, you keep keep DJs busy basically or artists in general and you give them a chance to record something and send it to you and you can upload it and just spread it through Instagram, for example, and people can still click on the things. They were able to listen it at home or even play on little private parties, which apparently happened a lot all over the planet. So, yeah, that was one of the ways that we used to to still keep on maintaining the whole music business with Hitano. And Marcos, as a musician, um, how are you keeping yourself creatively engaged during this time? Trying to go to the private parties. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Touche. Uh, um, no. Um, like, we keep producing music um, because, like, that's like no not not a thing like that is attached to, to like work you know like to 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 make profit it's like more it's a need you know we need to produce some music um actually we are like making a tulum album with a lot of artists different artists that make original music here and like we are setting up all the marketing strategy and all that stuff um like we are producing, we are we are we are doing music, um, and and that's the interest the interest thing about this COVID situation, that is how um, not just um, not just the music scene, but the music mindset it it needs to turn, you know, because it's it's, it's very different how it's how it's right now and how it was like four or five months ago. I totally agree. I see it around me as well. <laughs> there's what you're saying reminds me too. I feel like there's a lot of artists out there that get very productive and very creative and they use the chance that they have a lot of free time, go to studios and record. And there's other people that really struggle and they lose their creativity. It's it's really interesting how this whole situation changes the brain sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I agree hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Uh, well, we want to make sure we have time for one more song, um, but where can people find you, um, follow you, hear your music, hear the DJ sets? Um, sorry, mine or, or, or Gitanos? Both. Okay. Marcos, say um, <laughs> You can find me on Facebook, on Instagram as Habe Music. And we have a SoundCloud um, spot that it's Habe too. Yeah, and the whole Hitano thing you can find. Well, there's a lot of links as well in Instagram that we made the posts for the artists when we recorded the sets. But also on SoundCloud, for example, um, you can just enter Hitano Sound, like Hitano underline sound, and you find most of the sets there which were recorded and uploaded. Amazing. Uh, Marcos, what is the name of the last song you guys are going to play for us today? Okay, this is a, a very particular name, which like rise in a very particular time. It's Sultan Returns, No One Bend the Knee. <laughs> Great name. Amazing name. Uh, thank you to the whole Hatano crew. Uh, we wish you the best of luck in the reopening of all of your spaces. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Snacky Tunes. We'll be back next week. See you then.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.